just as we were worshiping, I, I had this feeling that I couldn't shake from the beginning till the end um, of when I was a teenager in church. And I had Christian parents, and I grew up in a very good home, very Jesus-loving parents. But when I became a teenager, I... I felt very empty. It was almost like God had to awaken a hunger in me and a dissatisfaction for what I had. And He allowed me to stew in that dissatisfaction for a couple of years, actually. And so I was in a, a Josh Jen church, surrounded by passionate, Jesus-loving people, but absolutely broken with desperation and a dissatisfaction because I just felt so empty. Um, because I, I saw people around me experiencing the life of the Holy Spirit, and I knew it was there to be experienced, but for whatever I, reason, for whatever I tried, I just couldn't seem to find intimacy with God through His Holy Spirit. Um, and so God allowed me to hunger and thirst after Him for month after month after year after year, and I, it just wrecked me. And I, was, I couldn't shake this feeling um, th while we were worshiping, that there are people like that here tonight. And I want to encourage you, you may, you may be even a teenager, and, you, and my story might be even your story right now. And, and God, in His mercy, would sometimes allow me to experience just a taste of His Spirit. But when I say a taste, like picture a, a person dying of thirst, crawling, like leopard crawling through the desert, and then getting a drop on their tongue, like one drop. Boom. And I'd be like, that's amazing, but that's very, that, that's amazing. I'm, I'm not ungrateful, but Lord, surely there must be more. Um, and, and so I want to just encourage you, if you're in that place, the Bible says God created us in His image. What does that mean? It means that we are spirit, soul, and body. I've often used this example, like if you do an x-ray of, of me, the most important part of me won't show on the x-ray because I'm spirit, soul, and body. And we are able, through the Christ, to have intimacy with the Father, spirit to spirit. It's something you can't quite explain in words. But when I meet with Jesus, I meet with Him, spirit to spirit. I, I have intimacy with Him in a way that's quite difficult. I, I'm quite good with words, but I can't put it into words what that experience is like. And I want to say, don't get satisfied with anything else. His, his promise for us is to have intimacy with Him, spirit to spirit. And if you think there's more, there is. And don't let anything or anyone convince you otherwise. Amen? One of the things I think God did in me, and it's kind of what I felt He wanted me to share with you tonight, is He broke me. He broke me. Uh, he broke me because I wanted God to meet me on my terms. And he just refused, he just refused to meet me on my terms. And so I had to break until the point where I could meet him on his terms. And that breaking took a lot longer than it should because I was a tough nut to crack. Uh, but even God can, can crack the toughest nuts. Um, and, and, he did, and he did with me. So there's... 
There's one verse when I was praying, Lord, what do you want me to share tonight? There was one verse which the Lord dropped on my heart, and so I wanted to share around it. It's in Romans 11, verse 19 to 22. Um, Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. This is the verse that I found, that I, that I dropped, the Lord dropped on my heart. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. I want to just pick up on that line. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. There's a mystery about God that he's the kindest person I've ever met. He's more kind and gracious and merciful towards me than any person I've ever met in my life. And there's a severeness to him, a holiness to him that I find quite scary, even as a Christian. And he's both. Amen? And so um, when I... The, the thing that cracked this tough nut of, 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 of me, because I am, I am quite a tough nut. If you know me, I'm quite a tough cookie. But I'm, I've got a limp now because God cracked me. But um, what cracked me finally was when I watched the movie The Passion of the Christ. And I, and I watched it as a jaded teenager that thought he knew everything about Christianity because I did. Well, I thought I did. I'd grown up in a Christian home. My parents were pastors. I knew the Bible. I'd heard the Bible preached every Sunday of my whole life. And I thought I knew everything there was to know about God. And I'd become jaded and cynical. And I watched the Passion of the Christ. And it wrecked me because of the kindness of God. I knew Jesus died on the cross. He went through that because he loved me. And, that, and I cracked. And I've never been repaired since then. He wrecked me. Um, because his kindness towards me, you know, when you just have a moment, you know theologically that God's like this, but when he penetrates your heart and you realize he, he really is that kind, that he would do that for me. And it's his mercy and his kindness that keeps me to this day. Whenever I have a really terrible week and I feel like the worst Christian on planet earth, I'm reminded of the cross of Jesus Christ. And his kindness towards me. His grace means that he treats me far better than I deserve. And he still does. He did then and he still does. He still treats me far better than I deserve. He still treats you better, far better than you deserve. And so he's more kind and more merciful than I could ever have imagined. And he's more severe and more fearsome and more scary than I could ever have dreamed of. One of the things that I I feel like the Lord is doing in our generation is He's restoring a healthy fear of the Lord. He's restoring a healthy fear. There is an unhealthy fear of the Lord, but He's restoring a healthy fear of the Lord. It's good to be a bit scared of God. It really is. And there's been this pendulum swing. In previous generations, Christians generally had a tendency to have a very reverential view of God. But the downside to that was he was a God that was very far away. 
so that when I'm in pain, when I'm in need, I fear God and I revere Him, but He's not going to help me. He's too far away. He's a distant father with a scowl. But the pendulum has swung now to the point where he's daddy God, where he's very intimate and he's very close, but the problem is he's just like me. Like children who have a relationship with their parents where it's like my friend, just a little bit older. I know it sounds weird, but it's really a thing. Where my parents are my buddies, but they're just a bit older. And, and we can have that attitude towards God as well, that he's my daddy. But that is, sub, that is profoundly dysfunctional relationship with God. Because he's both. He's both kinder than we could imagine and, he's both, and more terrifying than we could imagine. And he's that at the same time. In, we can put up Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight or wisdom. To know God is to know wisdom. But in our generation, even what it means to fear God, the definition has been changed. Uh, I'll give you a, a very vivid uh, explanation of how it's been changed in a minute. But I want to just start by saying in the Bible, in our generation, we are taught that to be afraid of God is a bad thing. It's a bad thing to be afraid of God because perfect love drives out fear. And that is given as a mantra again and again. To f no, don't fear God. It's, it, it, if you fear God, then you don't understand who God is. We, we taught again and again that to fear God is a bad thing, but that's the opposite of what the Scriptures says. The Scriptures say to fear God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the very first building block. In fact, in the Old Testament and in the New, to be a Christian and to be a God-fearing person is used interchangeably. I'll give you an example in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. So this is the, the kind of way the Scripture talks about fearing God. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandment which, which I command you all the days of your life. Why? that your days may be long. So the fear of the Lord is actually given as something which prolongs our lives. It's, it's given as something which is the definition of wisdom, or it's the beginning of wisdom, and wisdom is the thing that gives you a long, healthy, prosperous life, as it's defined in the Old Testament. And so the, the fear of the Lord in the Scriptures is never spoken of as a bad thing. But as a, a wise thing, as something which produces life in us. To just give you a very practical biological um, analogy for losing the fear of the Lord. I'm not sure if you know this, but leprosy, leprosy attacks your nerve endings so that you can't feel pain. And so the crazy thing is that a leprous person will be praying to the Lord for healing to restore their senses so that they can feel pain again. 
because they don't feel pain, they can get cuts and infections and die of the infections, and they won't even know that they've had a cut. Pain is a good thing. Pain is a healthy thing. Pain is one of the things that keeps us alive. And if you lose fear, you lose health, and you actually become very, very sick. But there's a spiritual analogy. One of the things that Satan has done is he's tried to numb Christians against the fear of the Lord because he knows that that will destroy our lives. If we lose the fear of the Lord, our lives will be destroyed. And so I want to just unpack this. One of the things I like to do is explain things because I like it when people explain things to me. So I want to ask a few very practical questions. So when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, what is it actually talking about? What kind of fear is it actually talking about? Two things. The first one, everybody agrees on. The second one, not everyone agrees on. And I'm going to explain why both are true. The first one is reverence. It's respect. It's awe. A reverence of God. The second one is to fear God. Fear in the way that it's normally understood. Like you would fear a hot fire or an angry dog or a a very powerful wave in the ocean. Any kind of normal, natural fear, just the way we normally use the word fear, is actually the same way the Bible talks about fearing the Lord. When the Bible speaks about a God-fearing man, you heard that phrase? It, it's speaking about a person who lives with an awareness that God is alive, and that what he thinks and what he desires is the most important thing to me. That's what it means to be a God-fearing man. Now, I want to just put up a quotation here. And I, I, it's probably the only time I'll ever quote Joseph Prince. But I, I need to quote him right now. So I'll explain, I'll explain why. So I mentioned there's two definitions of fear of the Lord. One's reverence and awe. The other one is just fear the way you would normally fear something you're afraid of. Uh, can, have you got it? I do believe in a reverential honor of the Lord, but I'm not for any kind of teaching that promotes this idea that God wants you to be afraid of Him. God delights in having us close to Him. He welcomes us to dwell in His secret place, to be close to Him, that we come under His shadow. These are all pictures of intimacy. In any relationship, fear and intimacy cannot coexist. The reason why I'm quoting this is because I think it very it puts in a, it it explains something which I think many Christians now believe, which is that fear is the opposite of intimacy. You can't actually have both at the same time. What I'm wanting to explain to you tonight is we must have both at the same time. That's why we, we began with that scripture about the kindness of God and the severity of God. There are two sides of the same coin. This, there's been this swing, not just in the church, but even in society, to swing away from a healthy fear of authority. So as society has lost a healthy fear of God, almost every kind of respect and healthy fear of, of authority has also suffered because of that. I'll give a couple of examples. 
Children who haven't experienced healthy discipline from their parents don't seem to have a healthy fear of their parents anymore. But what about the police? I've seen a number of videos recently on social media. The one of the most shocking ones that I've seen recently was a man was beating his wife. She ran into the police station and he kept beating her and no one did anything in the police station. It has been our loss of a healthy fear of the police. There's a, there's a healthy kind of fear that we have for authority. The Bible actually says that the God has appointed the government and the police to, to enforce the law. And it, it says that, the, that God has given them the sword to be actually to even punish wrongdoing. But as society has lost a healthy fear of the Lord, almost every relational dynamic between people and authority has suffered loss because of it. So now to ask another very practical question about God. Okay, we, 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 it's very normal and natural to fear God, but what is it that we fear when it comes to God? What specifically is it? Why, why would we be afraid of God? And I want to answer that question in three parts because depending on your relationship with God, you, you'll fear different things about God. It's not, it's not exactly the same for Christians as it is for unbelievers. It's very dark in here, eh? but maybe it's just the mood. Is it, is it always like that? The lights are just off. I'm struggling to see my notes here. But. So number one, what is it that we fear about God? When it comes to unbelievers, we can, let's put up Hebrews, uh, no, not Hebrews, sorry, Revelation chapter 6, verse 14. Unbelievers have, should have a healthy fear of God, and this is how the Bible, this is the kind of language the Bible uses about God in relation to unbelievers. This is talking about the end of time when Jesus returns. Obviously, when Jesus came the first time, he came as the lamb. The second time when he comes, oh, there we go. Second time he comes, he comes as the lion. It says, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they were calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Just as you read these verses, you realize that the second coming of Christ is going to inspire terror in unbelievers. Because when he came the first time, it was to save. When he comes the second time, it's to judge. And the window of opportunity for reconciliation and forgiveness will have finished. And he'll come back, and he's coming back to judge the earth. And so, it is healthy and right and good for unbelievers to fear God. Until they have been redeemed and reconciled and their sins have been washed away, there is a healthy, rational fear that unbelievers can experience. Unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever the case may be, 
We're often insensitive to that before the Holy Spirit comes, and sometimes it's often through Christians preaching the gospel and speaking the truth of God to us that the Holy Spirit actually makes us sensitive to the danger that we're in. And so we need to be conscious of this even when we're sharing the good news of the gospel to unbelievers. The good news of the gospel is good news in opposition to the bad news, which is that Jesus died so that we don't have to be killed by the wrath of God. Does that make sense? And so what is it that we fear? Well, for unbelievers, they fear the second coming of Christ when the window of grace will have passed and they will be judged by Christ himself. For, for believers, for Christians, what is it that we fear? Well, let's read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 10, 5 to 10. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. I think there's, is there? Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So for Christians, for me personally, when the Lord speaks to me, I love that testimony in the, in the announcements about when the Lord speaks, we, t we tend to think of sin as these like, you know, drinking and doing drugs. But actually, I, I, I love what she was saying about actually sin is when you disobey the voice of God. Sin is when we disobey the voice of God. So when the Lord speaks to me, there are two reasons why I obey him. One, because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Secondly, when I'm not feeling particularly motivated by love, I obey him because of this verse that we've just read here. I do fear his discipline. It's very painful. It's not to kill me, but it is very, very painful. The discipline of God is incredibly painful, and I've experienced my, more than my fair share of the discipline of the Lord. And, and I'm very quick to obey the voice of the Lord when he speaks because I'm not a sucker for punishment. I, I, I don't like pain. So one of the things that God will sometimes do as a form of discipline is he allows the, the natural painful consequences of our sin. Sin by its very nature brings pain. It, sin brings pain. That's what makes it sinful. It's bad for us. And so God allows us in his mercy and his kindness for our good to experience pain sometimes. And I don't like that. I, I, so I am motivated as much by pain as I am by love. I try to be most of the time motivated by my love for Jesus. But when I'm having a very bad week, and that's quite often, because you also do, don't you? I mean, if you're all honest, we, so I have bad weeks. To be honest, I, sometimes when Jesus speaks, I, I'm, I'm, yes, Lord, amen. If, whether I'm feeling loving or gracious or not, he, it's a healthy fear of pain. And, 
And, and let's be honest, every person in this room is motivated lots of different ways, and the Lord motivates us in lots of different ways. And, and we can't just exaggerate the one when the Scripture clearly mentions that God uses both. I want to read another verse in Hebrews. This is now, so, so for believers, we're motivated by fear, fear of pain. But there is another kind of extreme consequence which Hebrews 10 Verse 26 mentions, oh, I've just got 26, that wasn't helpful. It's actually verse 26 up until 31. Will you be able to find that for me? Sorry, I didn't actually tell you that. That's the main verse there, though. Um, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Verse 27 says, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he, has, he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Can you just put up the very first verse? That's an important verse for the context of what it's saying here. Because this is not just saying, if you sin, you're in the hands of an angry God and fire is going to consume you. That's not what it's saying. Let's read the first verse. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Interesting in the book of John, 1 John, it says, true believers don't sin. And then in another passage in the same book, it says, when, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. But, but he's trying to illustrate this point that when the Spirit of God lives in me, I cannot go on sinning. I cannot. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's like I'm sinning against myself. He changes our desires. Our Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit inside of me makes it impossible for me to go on sinning. When I say impossible, maybe I should qualify I mean, what I mean by that. It's like I'm going against my nature, but you can. It's not impossible, as we are Old Testament too. Amen? Otherwise, none of us would have sinned this week. That's why it goes on to say, if you do sin, we have a faithful high priest who lives to intercede for us and make atonement for us. But the, the, the warning in Hebrews here is, is that if we go on sinning, that means we begin to justify our sin. We begin to explain it away. We begin to qualify it to... to to the extent that we're no longer repentant of it. We're no longer turning away from it. We're no longer seeking God's grace and His forgiveness for my sin. I'm now beginning to become resolute in my rebellion against God. And that can be a small thing or a big thing, as we already mentioned. It's a case of if I know the right I'm supposed to do and I deliberately don't do it and I keep on sinning against God, then I don't only fear God's discipline, I fear Him the way I fear a fire, because it speaks about a fury of fire that will consume the enemies of God. 
And so Jesus said in John 15 that we can be cut out of the vine. But that's only an extreme judgment of God. God is gracious and he's merciful. That's not the, you know, when you sin, you're out. It's talking about a process now where we're actually sinning against our conscience. And so Christians should have a healthy fear of ongoing deliberate sin in my life. I should have a fear, I should, I should and I do personally have a fear of, of any sin that's repetitive in my life. Yes, I do sin, but if something becomes a habit for me, I start to get very worried. Even before other friends and, and, and leaders come to me and start saying, hey, I'm worried about you, I, I'm worried for me by that point. Because I have a healthy fear of God. And so Joseph Prince, for all the fans out there, is incorrect on this one. We fear God in the same way that you fear a fire, a flame. When I put, I'm afraid to put my hand over a flame. What kind of fear is it? Fear. It's just the same kind of fear you use for any kind. I'm afraid of it. It can kill me. And, and, and it's the same is true of God. There is that fear. But I don't live in perpetual fear of damnation, if you know what I'm saying. I don't wake up every night wondering if I'm going to go to heaven or hell. That's an extreme judgment of God. And so I stay very far away from that line. Does that make sense? So there's, there's a false sense of um, security which Christians can have when they lose a healthy fear of God. But then there's another extreme which I'm going to now speak about now. Some Christians live with a perpetual insecurity where they don't have security that I'm in Christ, that I'm safe. That I, that I am no longer condemned. And to those Christians, 1 John 4 verse 17 would say, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. That's quite a statement. I'll come back to that one just now. But there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so there is a security that we have as Christians, that when I am in Christ, when I'm walking in active repentance, I'm not going on sinning against my conscience, but he... I, I repent when I sin and I trust in his forgiveness. That it doesn't take days or weeks for God's atoning blood to cover over my sins. That instantly, right now, if there's sin that's condemning you in your heart, if you come before the Lord, become before the throne of grace and repent of that and ask for his forgiveness. With, I, will, I will say one second later, but it won't even take one second later. Instantly, you are covered. You are cleansed, you are washed. Your Bible says your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. And it's, and it's because of his atoning sacrifice that we can say, I have no fear of judgment. I don't go to bed at night wondering whether I'm going to heaven or hell. Why? Because I trust in the cross of Jesus Christ, that his blood is sufficient for every sin that I have committed and every sin that I will commit. His blood is sufficient. And so there's this incredible peace that we can have as Christians. And so if you are an insecure Christian, 
who constantly wrestles with whether you're safe or whether you are unsafe. This scripture is for you. So let's read it again. <laughs> By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I want to say this, this is one of the things that causes insecurity with Christians. There's a difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of Satan. Let me explain the difference. Condemnation of Satan doesn't say to you, Holy Spirit convicts you of a specific thing that you've done that grieved the heart of Jesus. A specific thing. Holy Spirit comes and says, man, when you said this to that person, that was a hurtful thing to say. It grieved God's heart. That wasn't loving. You need to repent of that. That was sinful. It's a specific thing. And it's redemptive. Why? Because I know what to do about it. I go and repent to the person. I'm so sorry. That wasn't right. That was unloving. I repent to God, and I'm, and I'm exactly where I was before I sinned. It's redemptive. It, re it brings us back to God. It provides a way of hope for reconciliation with God. Here's what Satan does. You say something horrible to somebody else, Satan will say, you are an unkind person. You are such a bad friend. It's no wonder no one loves you. It's no wonder you can't keep a friendship. Look at the, look at the kind of things you say. Look at the kind of person you are. You know, I don't even know why you keep trying. Maybe, maybe you should just give up. Can you see the difference? It's not about what you did. It's, it's who you are. You are a bad person. You are a failure. You, you are hopeless. You, there's no coming back from this. And, it, and, it, and it, it sinks you with condemnation and a sense of, I am worthless. That is not the Holy Spirit. That is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so if that's the kind of condemnation you consistently feel, you need to recognize that that's not the Holy Spirit. That's Satan. Does that make sense? That makes you to withdraw from, from God. You don't even want to go to God because what's the point? You give up even before you've started. And so how do I know if I've got the balance right? Well, this is how I answer that question. I, I don't fear judgment. If I had to die tonight, I, I wouldn't be afraid. I'm in Christ. His blood is sufficient for me. I know when I stand before God, it's not because of my righteousness. It's because of the righteousness of Christ. My life is hidden within Christ. But I do fear sin. When the Holy Spirit points out some sin in my life, I take very serious note of that. I take it very seriously. I don't just move on with my day. I'm like, whoa, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to deal with this right now. Because sin is destructive. Number one, I don't want it causing me pain in my life through the discipline of God. I've experienced too much of that in my short life already. And number two, if it becomes a pattern in my life, then I'm on very shaky ground. And I don't even want to be close to that cliff. When God speaks to me, when the voice of God speaks clearly to me, I write it down. I take God's voice Seriously, the Bible says he loves those who tremble at his word. What does that mean? It means we revere the voice of God, that when he speaks, it's the most important thing going on in the world today. He's spoken, 
and I'm going to listen and obey his voice. I'm quick to obey. I'm quick to repent. And I'm quick to trust in the atoning work of Christ in my life. Amen? Does that, does that make sense? 